Hello and welcome to Fighting Anime, a podcast of informal and approachable conversations about big ideas in the realms of philosophy, religion, politics, psychology, and sociology. I am your host, Marshall McCready. Just so you know, this podcast may contain offensive language and mature content inappropriate for children. Hello, this is episode two of the Fighting Anime podcast, and in this episode, I have a conversation with my friend, Ram, who I met at the University of North Texas Philosophy Club. We were originally planning on talking about well-being and morality, but then we had this conversation about rationality that I thought would be way better for the podcast. Uh, it Once it starts, it dives right in, and I hope you enjoy it and find it interesting. All right, without any further ado, here is episode two, a conversation with Ram about rationality and ideology. So what do you think rationality is? Like, what is your definition of rationality? Yeah, so I've noticed a lot of people use this term rationality to describe... Just a variety of things, but what I've noticed the most is it's usually used to describe things that are like, might take up the form of a logical argument. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of the time, when someone says, well, the only rational conclusion, or this is the the rational judgment to make, what really, I really fundamentally think that they're saying is, this is what makes the most sense to me. Mm. And I don't think that there's really such a thing as a truly rational conclusion yeah there is only what makes the sense to you yeah and i I think people really have this need to to speak outside of themselves Mm. and to say like this isn't just my opinion this is something true metaphysically Mm -hmm. this is something true because god did it or because it's rational like rationality often i think tends to be a an almost metaphysical process of determining truth yeah. that people kind of co-opt uh, to justify their own personal intuitions and and, and kind of really portray what really is ultimately an intuition of their own or, or some thinking that they have yeah. as something that's like grandiose is like oh it's the only rash it's rational yeah um but i the 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 usage that i do like Uh is a a type of process so like a a rational discussion Mm -hmm. might be a a discussion in which both people are making sense to each other Mm -hmm. while they're simultaneously trying to make sense of something else okay uh an irrational conversation might be one in which one person is on there is on a completely different page than yeah. another person, and maybe they're both trying to make like they're mo- they're both trying to talk about the same thing. Yeah. But the the way in which they are executing this uh-huh. is so divergent. Interesting. As to not they're they're like two clouds that aren't kind of coalescing at all. They're not moving <laughs> forward. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very pessimistic that there's such a thing as rationality. As rationality. Well, <laughs> that, that's I definitely on one one hand, I, I definitely think that there is rationality, um, and I do think that 
there's probably a little that I could flush out um, that to show the use of like you know rationality having um, like logical arguments to um, to like affirm or defirm like a certain like situation right and I feel like those definitely have their use cases right um, and I feel like people are definitely swayed by arguments and but I do definitely um, acknowledge that there are times where we have this uh, facade of rationality and I recently read this article where it goes over the same thing this this idea that uh, people online use like the 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 veil of logic and uh, rationality to have this superior standpoint this mm. kind of like oh you wouldn't understand i have this logical outlook you mm -hmm. just you don't understand you don't get it right, like, right. Uh, and i do definitely agree that that's such a number one uh such a naive thing to do like you you cannot be more naive to uh be <laughs> that insulting to someone to think that you're like this master of logic but at the same time uh like i said it, there there are good arguments to be had uh, where there are off of like uh, like a to b kind of like rigid argumentation uh with some you know whatever uh, evidence whatever uh anecdotal uh, experience you've had uh, to kind of drive that argument forward to get that other person to say, oh, you know, maybe it's not during the conversation, but some somewhere private, maybe in another instance where they've confronted the topic, for them to reflect and say, uh, that's interesting, you know, so-and-so said this and they argued this with me and that, that might just stand. That might, like, I, I see it now. Um, and I think... I don't know. Irrationality is is interesting because what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be irrational? That you're not making sense? Uh, in a lot of instances, in most instances, uh, I think we, like, intuitively know what irrationality is. So, like, when, I don't know, in most cases, like, when we're living, uh, we don't, we don't, uh, we're mostly rational, right? Like we're mostly. Uh, what do you mean? Like, like in the in the essence of like how like uh, people think of rationality, right? Like people don't think that they're acting rational. They don't mm. like when people are like you know drinking coffee, they're doing their daily activities. People don't peg themselves or other people as being irrational, right? So. To narrow down on what irrationality is is probably going to give some light to what rationality is. Mm -hmm. So, but that kind of like irrationality, what I see it as is when, like you said, when someone has a difference of understanding with someone else. Um, and I think to uh, that that is like kind of that's hard to distinguish is like 
are they actually being irrational or are they is there just a misunderstanding of the steps they took to get to whatever action that you're calling irrational or whatever position you're calling irrational and so i i think most of the time it's the the latter it's usually the the case that you don't understand you don't they've got to the point somehow but maybe those building blocks maybe some of those you disagree with um but to find that is uh i guess what you would call to have like a conversation or something but yeah i would definitely like but i think that there is some use to rationality so this kind of brings me to the, my next question is where do you think the limits are because i i see you i definitely think uh, like i have a bias towards argumentation and like you know being like uh debating mm-hmm. right but so i might be an optimist and you seem to have some like uh, there are some limits and you you want to emphasize that what are those limits yeah so uh before i real quick i want to comment with some one thing that you said which yeah, was like so you seem to have defined rationality within this specific kind of domain or it's kind of like a game with rules yeah and what is rational is is it's almost like a mathematical kind of working from the bottom up Mm -hmm. where you set these assumptions Mm -hmm. where you say to be rational is to have a logical argument where a follows b Mm -hmm. and and c is is like a as a conjunction of a and b or something is like you have like syllogisms it's like kind of formalized it's systematic and if you were to do if you were speaking in a very formal technical logical sense i would agree yeah but i think so so take something like a fear of flying Mm. like in a plane okay uh so i know people who are scared of of flying Mm -hmm. but they're not scared of driving Mm. when i think you are you are far more likely to die in a car crash Mm. than in a plane crash right right and you might say well a fear of flying is therefore irrational. Right, right. But the thing is, is you're, you're so, and that makes sense in one, in one kind of at, at a level where you're saying you're to be rational in terms of your fears is oh. to be, is for your fears to correspond to the statistical likelihood that they will come true. Right, right. But there are so many other, this, this, this takes kind of like evolved human psychology Mm. out of the picture entirely where like uh you might be adapted to fear heights yeah and and is that does that make it rational or or like so so you're talking about anecdotal evidence so say someone has Mm. had had they were one of the very few people Mm. who were involved in some kind of plane crash right, right and then they were scared to get on the plane crash again yeah and you might tell this person oh my god like your chances of getting in a second plane crash are, are like, so right. small but at the same time they might go i've had a terrible experience yeah yeah and then in a certain way yeah. their fear of flying after they got into the first crash uh-huh. i would say is rational which means it makes sense mm. and i think it makes perhaps more sense than them not having the fear of flying. 
Because it's kind of like your experience determines mm. what makes sense to an extent. I think the, the important thing to do here is to like distinguish between like descriptive and then prescriptive, right? I think it's, it's rational in, in that scenario to have those, those, like, those fears. But I think it's irrational to, uh, to not like confront them and like, you know, not to, uh, to work on them, to like lessen them in some manageable way, right? Like, I think of this, like, let's take a severe scenario, mm-hmm. right? Um, say you were mugged by, like, a black person, right? And I've, I've, I've read stories in which this happens, and people are, are like, oh, I have a fear of black people, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, you, you have this fear, and... To some extent, you could say, oh, I, I, I understand why you have that fear, but it's still irrational to have that fear. And you need to work towards, I mean, like, subsiding that, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, want, you need to, it, obviously, like, there's, there's nothing about black people or Indian people. Say it was Indian people that were, like, mugging people. They're, and someone comes up to me and they're like, oh, I'm rational like i'm i'm afraid of you and to to have that it like obviously that has broader implications in in policy right like these kind of i think that's where rationality and these kind of fundamental building blocks do matter um how i how i see that though is Uh is you so like Obviously, someone who is experience has the experience of being mugged by someone of a of a particular uh, ethnicity or race, uh-huh. and they they likely know or have experienced inter- encounters with other people of that same race. Right. So, like if an Indian man mugged me, I, I mm-hmm. I've I've known many Indian people. Like I, I went to UT Dallas, so a lot right. of Indian people, right. and I, I you know I haven't been mugged before. Yeah. So. So I would recognize uh-huh. that I had these two, uh, well, the, two different classes of experiences of Indian people. Mm-hmm. And one of the classes was involved in mugging and mm-hmm. the other one didn't. And so it would be irrational for me, mm-hmm. which is to say it would be, it, I wouldn't be able to make sense of these experiences together mm-hmm. to to extrapolate only on one. Right, but what if... Someone had not, right? Like, th- that seems to be a lot of the the foundation for, like, racism. It's it's this, like, perverse view of reality. And, and I think that's what a lot of, like, rationality has to do with. Uh, I think I can, like, I empathize with people that, uh, like, you know, have these honest held beliefs, but I still think it's irrational and those are, I mean, obviously, those are things that people, um, like, if, if they, for instance, if I were to run across someone that would, did not like Indians, and they were, they were saying, oh, you know, you came here, you took all the jobs, so on and so forth. Um, I mean, my response would be to, I mean, I'm not going to, like, you know, do something 
harmful to that person, but to say, look, you're, 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 you have something like your, your fear of Indians and, um, and this kind of like this implication that we're bad is, 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 is malformed. It's, it's, it doesn't have the right, uh, knowledge base. Right. Mm. And so like, Maybe my my you know my reaction is to educate like with some statistic that might uh, say like oh well yeah, sure we did come here to like get more jobs to have an opportunity but um, you know we, we help the economy uh, or maybe I can approach it from like a oh, but but that's what the Indian American dream is about it's mm. to it's to come from you know uh, the like to come to fulfill this kind of like financial success and like family success um, but at the end of the day like it was still like an irrational this kind of in uh it's not it does his or her view did not adhere to what reality was right i don't think we perceive like we we Reality to us mm-hmm. is perceived reality. And our perceived reality is constrained by the limits of our experience. Yeah. And so there is no objective perception of reality. Mm-hmm. And what I... Uh, I have this... I'll, I'll sketch it really quick. I have like quick... The sketch that I like mm-hmm. when I think about rationality in like the best possible way. Okay. Because I have this firm belief that everyone is motivated. Everyone mm-hmm. is biased. Everyone is corrupted by experience, which is to say everyone Mm. is irrational to some extent. Okay. And I, and I, I, people might have the subjective perception of rationality, but I am, I think people are insanely irrational. I I think human beings, where the thing is, is we didn't evolve to be rational. We evolved yeah. to to survive, to cooperate with other people, to build relationships, to build trust, uh-huh. solidarity. Yeah. We did not evolve to uh, comprehend some kind of objective or scientific perspective of right. the world. Right. That's it's like totally kind of inconsistent with our really our our neurophysiology. Right. Um, okay, but there's this thing that I like where where see. And I think it's like this, this this conversation that you're talking about where you have two people and I just picture it like, I you know, my incredible artistic talent is just two stick figures <laughs> and they are, they're both motivated. Yeah. So this person is speaking and they're motivated in this direction. They're motivated. Mm. So you're motivated. So if I come up and I say, can't believe yeah. all these Indian people taking our jobs, can't believe all these Indians. Really? Right. So like you're. Indian and yeah. like no doubt you're gonna take offense to that. Yeah. You know I mean an incredibly offensive thing for me to say. Uh-huh. And but the thing is, is like you're probably pro Indian, right? Yeah. Like you're like I like Indian people. I'm Indian. Uh-huh. Indian people are nice people. They're not taking. They're not stealing from you guys. Like yeah. right. And so you might have a. I I think it would it would be strange. It mm-hmm. would actually be very shocking. Yeah. And maybe somewhat disturbing mm-hmm. if you didn't have an mm-hmm. Indian bias. Right. Because right. you're Indian. Right, like, right, that makes yeah. the most sense, right? Yeah. Like, why would you be anti your own, who, what you know to be mm-hmm. a family and home and, and, and part of you, right? Like, right. people, if, if you're like that, you you know, you're, you're like self-loathing in a way or something. Yeah. Um. And so, 
when you're when you're identifying the other person's belief as irrational, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the best way forward with two people who are from st different starting positions mm -hmm. are to hopefully are to just maybe kind of come together a little bit. So like they're they're both speaking and they're motivated yeah. in different directions, and the goal is to kind of scoot someone to scoot them both in towards this like middle line. Right. But the thing is, is this middle line isn't rational. Mm. Like there is no objective criteria that I could think of to determine whether this conclusion or this judgment or this new yeah. belief, this synthesis is rational. Right. It's just the convergence of two different, uh, in the, in the direction of sense making. Right. But, okay. I'm trying to think of this. Uh, I, I agree. I, I do, I mean, like, just because, say, two people or two ideologies come together and they they do somehow, in some small probability, work through their differences and they have some, like, oh, understanding of each other. Um, they make this new kind of bigger uh, experience-backed uh, ideology. Uh, that That's not to say that that's somehow objectively true. But it is to say that it's subjectively like the best. And with like in the scenario of uh, you know, one person being alone and having their idea, and person two being alone, having their idea, but them coming together and somehow working through their differences, obviously that's immensely difficult, but working through their differences and finding this new emergent kind of idea, that idea is definitely better, I feel like, than those two prior ideas because of experience. If they were able to convey the their experience of whatever their lived experience, their knowledge base, um, to the other person in, uh, in a succinct way, then the, the, that then they both have, they're both better off than before, right? It, it, it seems like it would have to fit certain conditions. Mm -hmm. Like, what, what if someone had a, a terribly radical, violent uh, ideology? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe they were, like, a, a supremacist of some kind, supremacist of some kind, right, or, right. like, a whatever. And then there's someone else who isn't a supremacist, mm. but they've had experiences that the other person doesn't know of. Right. And the 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 radical person when they when they talk and they share their experiences, they actually both become more radical. Oh yeah. Like yeah. so that would be a synthesis where and you might say uh, moving in the direction of radicalism is irrational. Mm. But but the thing is is like they followed the process of rationality. Mm. And the result made sent more in a way. So here's something to think about. Mm. The things that you believe, you believe because they make sense of your experience. Right, right. And it, whenever you come up with a new belief, whenever you change beliefs, it's because this new belief, for whatever reason, and the reason is probably something incommunicable or, or, or like very difficult to articulate, for whatever reason, it makes better sense of past experience. Yeah. And so this process of you assimilating new information and kind of categorizing it and synthesizing it mm -hmm. with what you have, there, 
that might be called rationality, but in which case rationality, I think, might be a fundamental quality of consciousness, mm-hmm. which is like a rationality might simply be at its f- fundamental level adaptation. Right. Um, but adaptation isn't, you, you don't always, like adaptation doesn't always indicate yeah. what is true or, or yeah. what is best yeah. or what is even better. Yeah, it might even be, it, it all depends on the, like the thing that I think I, that gets me is like I can totally, I can I actually you know I place a lot of value on like rational discourse, like having conversations with people in which we're both making sense, but we disagree, yeah. trying to make sense of something else. Right. That's that's an incredibly complicated thing. There's just so many different mechanisms happening to make that happen. Right. But to use rational as some kind of adjective mm-hmm. to describe a particular belief. In a vacuum, like in a conclusion in a vacuum, a conclusion that's not viewed through the lens of who Ram is or who Marshall is right. as some kind of metaphysical thing, I don't buy that. You might as well be saying God. You might, like, uh, I, uh, uh, um, I like watching interviews with people from the Westboro Baptist Church, yeah. <laughs> and when there was this hilarious thing that this pastor said. He said something like, uh, you know, it, it sure is an advantage to know that you're right about God. Uh-huh. And the yeah. thing that gets me is everyone who talks about God uh-huh. and says, God is this and God isn't this. God likes this. God doesn't like this. Uh-huh. They might as well just be saying it's rational to like, it's mm-hmm. rational to do. It's the same thing where, where God is, the ultimate sense-making thing. Rationality is the ultimate sense-maker. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's something that is really fuzzy and really ultimately seems to me to be just someone trying yeah. to uh, exaggerate the source of their opinions. Right, right, right. Which is pretty pretty pessimistic, you know, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... I, I... I mean, I see where you're coming from, and that's definitely in what I think is that rationality definitely has been uh, used as a tool to exaggerate, like their opinions of. Obviously, that's logical, giving. I mean, there's a lot of instances where people say it's logical, and then they give some some evidence that might be like post hoc reasoning, or it might even be fallacious in itself right Mm -hmm. even not even good reason um and they come to this like very very self-affirmed like oh i obviously got this right good luck catching up right um and i i definitely agree that that's there but there's also instances where i mean i do understand that's a loophole but there has to be an instance where we can, there's also good faith, you know, discussion, this mm-hmm. kind of rational like dis- discussion, as you said, where we are trying to understand each other mm-hmm. and we do build with each other. And I, and I feel like, for instance, like what I could be saying right now could be wrong. What you could be saying is wrong. Maybe even us combined could like our ideas combined could be wrong still um but 
it's this pursuit of trying to go find what is best that is this kind of rational discourse. And I don't think there's any guarantee that even with all the minds in the world coming together some miraculously and then coming to even a more miraculous one singular idea, is that would be somewhat objective mm. or correct. Yeah. But wouldn't that be like the best thing we had? I totally agree. I think you just is fantastic. Yes. Like, mm. I think, yes, exactly. Like, and that's why I like the use of rationality to describe a type of discourse rather than a type of conclusion. It's like what we're doing oh, okay, is okay. Mm. we're both. Yeah. This yeah. is a rational conversation, meaning. Yeah. Like, I don't think like you just said, like, I could be totally wrong about I could be misguided like yeah. and I could be which is to say wrong it's just a euphemism for wrong right yeah. but what 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 wrong is is less useful than something else so like yeah. so like yeah. we, we might come to a like the best conclusion what yeah. would characterize the best conclusion that you and I could come to right now <laughs> where we in this conversation we're like we're totally on the same page about <laughs> rationality right. and, and we've both moved a little bit yeah. the best way that that could go would be to come up with something that makes more sense to both of us than what had previously made sense right right but and and the thing is is but that conclusion to to grant it uh-huh. higher status than mm. our previous conclusions right. by calling it rational i think is illusory like, all we can mm. say, ultimately, is this is something that makes more sense to me now, given my experience of this conversation with you. Right, right. It, it, makes, it makes more sense of my past understandings and my past beliefs, okay. and it also makes sense of what I'm experiencing with, within this discussion. Yeah. But it's not... What, what do you do in the scenario of... Like, what, when person A, right, comes up to you, and you do like we do have a conversation, right? But then my experiences are different than your experiences. Mm-hmm. But you just uh, even after we had a good faith discussion or whatever the case may be, you guys still disagree. But then that person is still racist, or that person like I still go away having some prejudice that you know that I should not have, mm-hmm. right? Like. What do we do in those circumstances? And I, I have an answer to this, but what do you think? Like, what what is, do you think they're irrational at that point? Or do you think that they're, like, I don't like I don't calling know. people irrational. When I, what, I, what I think people mean when they say that person is irrational uh-huh. is just, and just simply this, I disagree. Okay, okay. That Because rationality, what... The metrics of rationality mm-hmm. are contained within your own perceptions and intuitions. You're, you're, there is no systematic way, I don't think, no truly objective way yeah. to uh, technically uh, determine whether something is rational or irrational unless yeah. you posit a set of fundamental axioms and work up. But that only works in a system that is closed and it doesn't really work in real life, in mm. which case I don't call, like, I would go, like, if someone made a statement that didn't make any sense to me, and it didn't seem to follow from the, the statement they had just made, 
that they were extrapolating from, I would say you're being irrational, which is just to say, I don't think you're making sense. Yeah. Or, which is just to say, I can't make sense of what you're saying. Mm. But there is, but when when someone does that, I'm not comparing in my head, I don't have like this cheat sheet of yeah. like, hmm, determinants of rationality. And Okay, but so, so take the racist person. Do I think the racist person is irrational? I disagree with racism. Yeah. Like, there, the, there's not a, there are no races that I think it is rational to be, to hold prejudice against. Right, right. But, and, and how, what would be the rational way to help that person or, or to appeal to that person or to try to persuade that person? Mm-hmm. Well, it would be conversation, right? And it would be conversation of the type where I, I'm not just lecturing I, yeah. And here's another thing about the limits is beliefs aren't formed based off of arguments. Right, right. Like beliefs are formed based off of interpretations of experience and the, and the way that the interpretation, the interpretive frameworks and structures are created is also through experience and yeah. also through temperament. Here's the, one of my biggest things about rationality. Yeah. People of different temperaments, fundamentally like people who are maybe more artistic yeah. It would be strange if the highly artistic, creative mind yeah. considered the same things to be rational as the highly, um, mm-hmm. you know, habitual, routine, structured, very uh, uh, someone who who loves order versus someone who loves novelty. These are these are like kind of innate traits. They're inherited traits, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. These two different personality types, their fundamental perceptions of what makes sense about the world will be different. Yeah. Some people really want black and white. Others people hate black and white. Yeah. So their fundamental predispositions, their 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 temperamental outlooks absolutely determine the fabric of reality, mm-hmm. in my view. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to to get over those those deep rooted like it's kind of like a preset of irrationality and that's just, but that's human life. Right. And that's, and, and that's, yeah, and, I, and I think in, when you bring it up in the artistic sense, I mean like this kind of, of course, like when you put it in something that is highly agreeable, like racism, then we would say like, obviously that difference of opinion is bad, but when you put it in an artistic lens, when you have a difference of opinion, that's often applauded. Right. Because in the, I mean, like in 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 art and in like uh, what's it called, like engineering, innovation, all of these things, uh, it takes this form of creativity where if we all had the same rationale, we would be ineffective, and we right? would be like super bored. Right. Yeah. Like uh, that's the thing. Like yeah. I I don't want to live in a rational world. That would suck. <laughs> like where everyone was rational. Like yeah. w- w- there would be no. I don't know. I don't think there would be art or creativity. Yeah. Or I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know. Because I, I don't really know what a rational world. Like Until when then. I say a rational world, I'm kind of thinking of like what behavioral uh, economic economists and like mm-hmm. some uh, uh, psychologists call like econs. There's like there's like human beings and all of their biases, cognitive distortions, and then there's econs, which are econs are like how economists picture 
human beings, which uh-huh. are like fundamentally they're, they're like homo economists. Yeah, yeah, fundamentally they're motivated by like rational choice theory, and and they're like they're never <laughs> yeah. divergent from like yeah. they never pick the the thing because it feels good or right. looks good, and right. in that in that world it, w- it would just be a bunch of robots. There would be no yeah. human character or, or like difference in personality. Right, uh, right. Uh, yeah, and that that's that's really. I mean, that is a hard thing to digest because, like, even with the good, like, there is this ca- caveat for the bad, the atrocious that we see in the world. And I guess that's just going to be... Uh, that That is interesting, though, like, this battle of, like... I don't know. Like, you, you don't want the same... Like, you don't want a, a non-difference of opinion. Like, that's definitely something we don't want. Mm-hmm. but it's something we do want somehow like in the, obviously like in the democratic election all of this like we do want that somehow but then we know in this like in this vaster understanding that this difference of opinion is like in like it's so uh invaluable it's like it's a, it's so sacred almost right mm-hmm. that's weird i like what you were saying earlier where like who is going to make more effective, more useful decisions? Mm. Uh, is it going to be someone who has half the experiences of someone else? Mm. Like, like to have more experience right. of the world, yeah. and which is well, and and importantly, more diversity of experiences. Right, right. That person will probably be more equipped. Oh, gosh, okay. There's this fantastic study. It was a 20-year-long study. I was just reading about it in the in the Atlantic. Okay. The Atlantic uh, for June, I think. They have an article about this. Okay. And it was by this... Are you uh, subscribed to the Atlantic? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, nice. You know, you know me, an intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> I only read, like, one every... I, I'm so bad about it. And I get the New Yorker. I literally haven't oh, yeah. read the New Yorker oh, yeah. in, like, forever. It was like, I got a deal. It's so now I'm not to be... But uh, there's this... Tetlock, he's like a hugely famous psychologist. Okay. And he did this incredible study on expert predictions, the accuracy of expert predictions. Oh, okay. And he found experts are like ridiculously inaccurate. They don't, they can't forecast. Really? They absolutely cannot. Wow. And, and actually the more sophisticated, the more educated an expert uh, is the in their field, the, the more that they think only the variables uh, characteristic of their specialty matter okay. yeah, yeah. In, in determining the future. And so they, they actually tend to be more inaccurate uh, than, than less sophisticated uh, experts. Wow. And, and they found that if you were to just get a person off the street, mm. a group of people off the street, uh, they would be able to match, if not exceed, the accuracy of expert prediction. Uh, and they, he divided this, these two different types of people. He said, you have foxes and hedgehogs. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I like, I don't know why he, I don't know what <laughs> it is about these animals, but I, I like it. So the hedgehog <clears throat> is someone who just sticks to their own thing. Mm. So they have their, they, 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 uh, they live in their environment mm-hmm. and they, that's what they know. Yeah. And these are experts. These are people who tend to think in terms of a, in unidimensional ways. Okay. So like, um, you know, this is one of my big things about academia. Whereas I, 
if you are not committed to understanding the problem that you're dedicated to solving, yeah, uh, inter through an interdisciplinary lens, yeah, yeah. that is a huge problem to yeah. me. Like you have to be interdisciplinary, or you have to recognize the validity of other of other fields yeah. in describing the problem. Right. right. Of course. Of course. Right. So like, I'm all about interdisciplinary research. Right. Okay. And then the foxes are people who they 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 kind of are, they have varied interests, and they're kind of spread out. Where they're into different things, or they kind of have like different groups. These people tend to be a little more uh, adaptive. Mm-hmm. So they tend to be like, oh, I could, I am, in, I'm thinking of this variable, but I'm also thinking of this other variable, and these like these variables will be at different levels. Yeah. So they found that people who are foxes, okay, but think about how being a fox is kind of antithetical to really specializing. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and the specialists, to specialize, in a sense, is to become more like a hedgehog. Right. Um, and, um... So when you get that narrow lens, that, that like... I mean, it's kind of like a, like a table. Like, if you're too specialized, I mean, of course you have this, like, amazing one leg that it will fall over easily. But then if you're more like this fox, your legs might be shorter, but it's going to be, since you have more legs, it's more sturdy, that mm-hmm. kind of like ideology. Yeah. Okay. And um, it's just also, it really kind of reinforces to me mm. the fact that you, the best thing mm. to have Yeah is a system of interconnected specialists. And the system becomes a fox. So, like, you know how... Um, oh, yeah. So, like, like academia. Yes. Yeah. Like academia, or yeah. but also like a Roomba vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and here's yeah. why. <laughs> okay. You know those little Roomba yeah. things? Okay. Uh, <laughs> they... The Roomba <laughs> is, doesn't have a central intelligence... Okay. It's a bunch of different sensors that are mm. working on their own. Okay, okay. And would like you put different sensors around those? Yeah, like it has its own. Well, like the the Roomba in the in the in the Roomba itself. Oh, okay. It it's not unified. Interesting. It, it's it's how it operates is different things are like different. Think of it like different independent entities are working together. Rather than it being one thing. Right, right. And, and, uh, and this is interesting because, and I do completely agree with you, and this is what, like, Jonathan Haidt kind of gets at. It's, I mean, like, descriptively for an individual to boast that they're a rationalist is, like, kind of impossible. Right? Uh, yeah. But then you can have a group that's rational. Right, you can always have a group that's rational if you, if you can pick out the right environment with the right diversity, like you, you will have a rational group. But then, like, a person by its themselves is often less rational than they can ever think to be. Right? Yeah, and you know what? Mm. Here's the fundamental thing: mm. rationality, as we understand it, I think is intrinsically connected, or in inextricably rather connected mm. to abstract reasoning why and i in abstract reasoning is a consequence Mm. of social behavior you have no need 
for abstract reasoning. Oh, I see. If you're on your own, not necessarily, you yeah, you might. Yeah. But it's what's very useful is language. Yeah. So a- abstract reasoning is largely uh, a consequence of language formation. Oh, really? Because think about, uh, but if you didn't have language, if you didn't have words to break up things and, and to think through things quickly. Mm it would be very difficult to reason abstractly. There's a huge connection between linguistics and... Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, because... So, like, is it the sense that we process abstract reasoning along with language, or, like, in They're the same inextricably parts? connected, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I think what this shows is, like, in, okay, and why would, in language, mm-hmm. you need you have no use for language if you're on your own. Right. Like we are a social animal. Right, yeah. And that means that I think by extension, what we are calling rationality mm-hmm. is a fundamentally something that only exists in, a group. in an emergent social, yeah, interpersonal yeah, I, level. I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, it's definitely something that, especially with like the concept of like experience, right? It always... Um, I think people like downplay like the the validity of other people's experience. That's usually like why we people get into stalemates, I feel like. Like people usually are like, oh, I know you believe this, but you're wrong. <laughs> right? Like and I feel like if they took a moment to be like to genuinely be like, okay, let me put myself in their shoes and like try to understand how in the world they could get into this ideology not only would they be more rhetorically effective and like oh i understand x y and z is why you go went in but let me tell you the downfalls of that or whatever the case may be but also there might just be a chance that like they are wrong or they can improve their like there are pitfalls that the other side is aware of of mm-hmm. their like whatever ideology Mm-hmm. and they can like be like you know what we should probably change that a little like you're right maybe there is some room to compromise but I, like I don't the the like we were talking about earlier like the whole idea of like signaling it infuriates me because as soon as you signal it's like you your us versus them barrier like immediately closes mm-hmm. and then all it's going to be infinitely harder to like bring those barriers down after you do those slogans. Yeah. So like what you're talking about is when during a political debate, people let their own partisan group interests supersede their really like personal. Well, their, their obligation to be like, I mean, I don't even know if it's an obligation. It's like their own, it's like team politics versus like actually trying. I don't even know how to put it otherwise because, I mean, if you were to genuinely look at it, there are, there are three possibilities you get from walking in someone else's shoes, right? Number one, you're wrong, right? Which is obviously uncomfortable. Uh, number if two... You, if you know you're wrong, then it's uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number two, it's uh, you're partially wrong. So there is some room for a compromise. And number three, you're right, but you can understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Because in my opinion, I think that 
If you're able to understand someone's experience and how they got there, then you should also rhetorically be able to convince them otherwise. Because somehow you've convinced yourself with their experience that you're still right. So you should be able to convince them that you're still right outside of that. Does that, that, I, that, make that makes sense. I mean, of course, this is hypothetically like no friction. You have the ability to like give out vast amounts of information. And I think right. it also assumes that you and the other person are similar enough in temperament that yeah. the temperament yeah. variable is not tipping the scales. Although I, I like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in, if that's true, then it's almost like right and wrong are the the wrong categories to describe discussion. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that, and that's why a lot of times, a lot of rhetorically apt people... What they do in conversations is, yeah, tell me why I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, tell me why I'm wrong. Because they frame it to where the other person's not defensive, Mm -hmm. right? As soon as you make someone defensive, from what I, the experience I've seen in like debates and conversations, it's always going to be like, it's always going to devolve to ad hominem, like Mm -hmm. somehow. Uh, or it's going to come to the point where people are not authentically arguing, but rather they have this like ap- like apologetics arguing or, uh, oh, I know this sounds good, so I'm going to use this as an argument kind of. And then that's like, I don't see how that's productive at all. Because at the end of the day, sure, you have these really nice looking arguments, but you're not getting anywhere, right? Before we get back to the episode, I thought I'd let you know that links to some of the content discussed today as well as additional complimentary materials can be found on the podcast tab of my website, marshallmccready.com. That's Marshall with two L's, M-C-C-R-E-A-D-Y.com. There, you can also find links to the podcast's Facebook page, my personal blog, and a contact form in case you want to share any thoughts, suggestions, or book recommendations. And with that, let's get back to the rest of the episode. I am. I have this... I'm a very firm believer right now uh, <laughs> in, a, in something that I've noticed to be true uh, mm. about different levels. I call it different levels of, of life. So mm. I, you know, I'm wanting to, I, I'm a sociology student right now, yes. but I'm hoping to get my PhD after I get my master's in social psychology, uh, which is fundamentally psychology, but it, it's, you know, I'm coming to the psychology with a, a yeah. background in sociology, and I'm wanting to incorporate both, right? So yeah. we're kind of interdisciplinary field. And I've noticed that the rules, so to speak, that govern the behavior or that describe the dynamics of interpersonal mm. interactions, so two people, yeah. Yeah. correspond in a profound manner. Yeah to interactions of larger entities and even systems. What do you mean by that? So, for example, uh, politics again. We're going to politics. <laughs> uh, you have the left and the right, okay. right? And they're, they're pulling on this rubber band. They're pulling in separate directions, right? Mm-hmm. And where they're looking 
are is at different goals. The left is looking at the left's goals, and the right's looking at the right goals. Right. But if you if we were to only have one party, one left or one right, okay, we would have too much of something. It would be it would tend towards authoritarianism or something. There'd be yeah, no yeah. balance. We right. need the balance. Like it doesn't matter what's in the left and the right. I mean, it kind of does. But as long as these are two sides of a seesaw. Right, right, right. What you want is kind of a straight seesaw. Mm-hmm. You need this balance. And because they check each other mm-hmm. and they value different things. And the things that they each value are, uh, you know, presumably important. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and they emphasize different things. That's yeah. the important thing. Right, yeah. with the whole, like, uh, what's it called? The righteous mind. Yeah, like moral, moral foundations. Yes, yeah. they have different moral foundations, which mm-hmm. is to say, they're it, it's a matter of emphasis. Yeah, this is what I think is crucial. Uh, it's a matter of emphasis, and you really want to emphasize kind of a lot of a variety of things because a variety of things are important. <laughs> so what you want is two sides, yeah, working on their own mm-hmm. in conjunction. Uh, uh, and if you have like what like right right now we have like a a kind of um a system where well, what's it called when there nothing's getting done uh a, a stalemate it's kind of a stalemate it's yeah a, i know what you're talking yeah about there's a some congress term, term yeah. yeah a congress term it was some political yeah and but this this happens with people too where once the groups mm. see see what's what's nice about having two parties is this balance but this balance can only be struck if both parties are actually living out the emphasis that they embody mm. or that they represent. Maybe they don't actually embody it. Which is to say they have mm. to actually be acting on these emphases, emphases in order for the general system to reach equilibrium. Okay, okay. You have to be, you, you have to be on the seesaw in order to have the seesaw like two people have to get on they have to play the game uh-huh. right they can't be off trying to uh, yeah, do, yeah, yeah. like if you're putting politics right. first you're not emphasizing the values that you that you are filling the role of emphasizing interesting so to yeah, take I it to two people the two people kind of represent the two sides of mm-hmm. the of this of a broader system yeah and the goal is that they'll reach some kind of equilibrium. Right, right. But if they're not playing the game, then there's no... that The equilibrium can't even be struck. Right. So what's the game here? It entails what I would call honesty, but really it entails concentrating on what it is precisely that you're emphasizing. Which is to say a fundamental value, mm. or what is best described as a value, mm. rather than like a structure. So, like the best thing I think is to say, like if you let partisan interests interfere with a political discussion about an issue at hand, yeah, and this political discussion about this issue, the, the divergence of opinion rests in a difference of value, presumably, fundamentally. Right. The Democrat and the Republican. Right. They have a different outlook. And they emphasize different things. They have different moral foundations. Right, right. But in order for them to make any progress, in order for them to, to meet any equilibrium, mm. they have to actually be 
addressing the other person through this lens of their values. The values rather than group interests. Okay. Because the group interests aren't the values. They're different. Interesting. And the same thing happens at a social scale or a, or a political party scale. If you put party in mm. front of principle, right. you run into problems. Because right. the system only works when everyone is, you know, not 100%, but as some extent working on principle. Right. Um, right, right. Because it's like, it's almost like the party is this, like, intangible thing. That can't like you, you if you use it you it's going to be like obviously like malicious in some way because it doesn't exist because it's this party is formed from these principles mm. and like and uh and maybe even like take it broader like the mixing of many principles right to like make this bigger principle or this bigger entity that is the party and then maybe uh i mean and i do see this and even within parties there are big divisions because of difference in principle, mm-hmm. right? So, like, we saw this with Bernie and Hillary. Um, you kind of see it with, like, the libertarian wing of the... Yeah. The yes. very small libertarian wing. <laughs> like Rand Paul. <laughs> yeah, no. Who ran last time? Uh, Gary Johnson. Johnson. <sighs> yeah. What a guy. <laughs> the worst press guy. Like, seriously. I, I don't even understand how someone can have that many bad instances of <laughs> uh, but he like the one interesting thing and I and people reference this to like the saying like the left eats itself mm, you heard yeah that? I have heard this Sargon of Akkad likes it yeah, yeah yeah and uh, Brett Weinstein was on mm. the panel that referenced it there's a lot of people that uh, have brought this up um, the, the interesting thing is is that like our it seems that like the moral foundation of uh, but like uh, like unity or like this like authoritarianism kind of nah, I, I don't know what it is it's like is it loyalty I forget which one but are you are we talking about one of Heights foundations yeah, yeah Heights. Lo- in group loyalty yeah in group loyalty that's one of the conservatives foundations mm. and it's not one of the liberals so that's why. Whenever there's a disagreement within liberal factions, it's always like, oh, like you're done. Right? Like, and that's what I'm, I get so tired of this with, with the, like the, the liberal like side of things. Like for instance, so there's this YouTube channel uh, called Rationality Rules, which is funny because rationality we're talking about today, but rationality he, rules. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he, uh, he made, like, he makes videos talking about atheism stuff. Talks about, like, debunking a lot of apologetics, like, uh, you know, uh, claims to God. And recently he kind of dove into politics talking about how trans women have an unfair advantage in sports. Right? Oh, like weightlifting and stuff? Yeah, weightlifting. Over, uh, over like, cis women? Yeah, cis women. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so he made this video and he went on the atheist experience with Matt Delahunty and such. Um, and after like the atheist experience, like denounced him, they're like, Oh, well he has transphobic views and it's caused like real pain and suffering. Like they use this like very heavy language 
the atheists experienced it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like surprising. Well, Austin to me. is like super progressive. Yeah, right? true, true. So, like the the community for atheism there is like very, very, very progressive. Um, was he doing it in like an attackable way? I mean, this he is, did. He this is ridiculous. Like it's so queer that like especially in weightlifting that there's an unfair advantage. I'm totally cool with saying that because it's just pop. It's patently obvious yeah. that there is an unfair advantage, and anyone yeah. who has the audacity to say that there's not is so clearly trying to compensate yeah. for for something or or to like to virtue signal that it, it just is absurd to me. Like you yeah. can't sit there and tell me that someone who has the biological body of a male right. who has transitioned, and I respect that transition, yeah, yeah. has no on average advantage over someone who has the biological body of a woman no i I don't accept you just stop (laughs) i mean like it it definitely i mean i know there's a lot of there was a response right Mm -hmm. regardless of what you your your conclusion is the whole idea is that like rationality rules put out this video like arguing but then like is is the right tactic to denounce? Like, it, it mm. boggles my mind. Like, okay, well, so before this, on like uh, there was a faith. There's this thing called Faithless Forum. It actually happened in Dallas, um, and all these like YouTube atheists like got together and like kind of like you know talk. Um, and in um, after that, they went down to atheist experience, and during that time, a lot of these other atheist perspectives they were talking to them they're like look there are a few things you got wrong there and they did like provide mm. like, evidence and like oh like apparently apparently there is evidence to saying that like like your bone density goes down your muscle mass goes down such that stuff oh once you're on like blockers HRT, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, after you go through hrt for like six to twelve months uh-huh. i think you're like the levels go down but then like there's still the question of, like, frame, right? Like, your, mm-hmm. your frame still stays the same, mm-hmm. apparently. Irregardless of that, they convinced him that they were like, look, you got a few things wrong. And there were a few insensitive things that you might have said. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, yeah, you're right. He agreed with them, mm. right? And he was like, I should make an update video. Before he could do this, he was denounced somehow. He was, like, completely blindsided. Mm. There was this one guy called Essence of Thought that, like, he made this long video. And it was very well made, very good arguments. But littered, literally all the way throughout was, like, ad hominems and, like, oh, you can get fucked if you, like, you know, if you don't believe in what we believe or whatever. Gosh. And it's, like, what, what, how is, how you, you have someone that has articulated some argument. They found out. They've come to the point where they've been like, oh, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. I've done something wrong. And even at that point, denounce them. Like, I, that boggles my mind. Yeah. Like, what more can you want? Actually, this reminds me of another instance. Neil, uh, what? Neil? Liam. Liam Nielsen. Okay. That's the name. You know the actor? Uh-uh. Liam Nielsen? Maybe. Liam Neeson? Yeah, Liam Neeson. Okay. Oh, is yeah, it? I'm yeah. yeah. Dumb. Is it, um, no, I couldn't think of what's your face, Natalie Portman earlier. So, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but he like he talked. He was like doing a taken interview, right? And he was talking about how, like, when he was younger, one of his friends was raped by a black person, mm. right? And he was like so angry that that night he went out like trying to like hurt and kill black people. Like oh, he gosh. said this in yeah. an interview, and he was like, "Yeah, this is like terrible. This this is like such a bad." Like thing, and he denounced that he was like, "This is bad." Of himself, this is racist. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he was like, "I understand that now." And basically, the question I believe was it was phrased as, uh, "Like, how can you, like, sympathize with this person that's like, like you know, and take him? He like kills everyone because they yeah. killed his daughter, and so like he was trying to sympathize in that sense. Uh, oh, so that that blind anger. Yeah, the blind anger. Huh. And so when this came out, everyone was like, oh, canceling uh, him. It's like, blah, blah, blah. And then I remember Terry Crews was like, I don't know what more you could expect from this person. Like, person mm. did something wrong, admitted it's wrong. Like, even then you have to hold it over someone. Like, I can't, like, if I was racist, I would just keep being racist. Right? Like, why would I? Not- and you would never publicly say, you would never like say yes. bring it up on your own accord to give an, an example yeah yeah that's like it's absurd to me that like you have to keep winning after you've won mm. right like this this idea and it i forget i read this uh political art um article from uh, this black conservative uh out in like the 80s oh man it was so good because he was talking about how when it was Martin Luther King, he used this sense of binding morality to to convince people. He was like, mm-hmm. us brothers and sisters, we must blah, blah. But now it's more of like this kind of like uh, this idea of being a, like a victim and then having using that victimhood to claim more power over people. Mm-hmm. And he did this in the 80s. And now, like, with, uh, like, the the documentary. I saw that, by the way, from the... From Evergreen? Yeah, Evergreen, yeah, 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 yeah. And I saw that. That was insane. Mm-hmm. And with, in those, that kind of articulation, and with those kind of events, it's, like, so obvious. Yeah, just, just for our listeners, he's talking about, or for the whoever's listening, is about the... Uh, uh, there's a there was a campus protest at Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, and uh, there's a, a great documentary by Mike Nana on YouTube about it. Um, I think you're so right about the. So something you said earlier mm-hmm. uh, is liberals don't typically ex- exhibit a powerful in-group bias. Yeah. But that's not necessarily true about Democrats. Mm, okay. Like, um, you there in sociology. Mm-hmm. There's and in psychology, the cat is drinking your water. I'm sorry, I'll get you a new <laughs> It's laugh. adorable. Um, uh, uh, there's this measure called authoritarianism. Yeah. But it's right wing authoritarianism. Mm, okay. And so the measure is in in um, you know. People have commented on this. My, one of my professors has, has written a book partially oh, wow. about why it's biased. And I, it's just like, well, I'm not right wing, right? Yeah. But it's blatantly it's blatantly biased such that it portrays only conservatives as authoritarian. 
But the thing is, is there is evidence for, and there's, you know, there's, there's academic evidence for, Mm -hmm. but there's also just, you just can look at the political landscape and see evidence for authority, the same type of authoritarianism on the left. It's so true that it's there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. Look at Antifa, or look at people who are. I mean, anyone that tries. I've heard this a lot, and it it's a little bit worrying, but I don't think as much as like right wing. But on the left, I have heard of like instances where like violence is allowed in these like non-violent instances. So like, oh yeah, of course it's okay to punch a Nazi. Yeah, they throw a milkshake at Tommy yeah, Robinson or or Tommy Larry, but also who's that guy in uh, the UK who's always getting jailed because he's kind of an Islamophobe? Tommy, oh, I uh, have no idea. Tommy, something. Well, there's this new thing in in um, the UK where people are getting milkshakes thrown at him. Like if is that like a milkshake specifically? Yeah, milkshake specifically. I, I've seen a couple of stories where because it because it's like. Well, and you know what? Like deplatforming. Yeah. It, it, you, if you need an example of authoritarianism, look no further yeah. than deplatforming. Yeah. And who's doing the deplatforming? It's people. It's like leftist college students. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not a. I, I think to be liberal is to be against that, right? Because like, yeah. what it a lot of times these deplatforming things come from a place of in group in-group loyalty because they're like oh someone from the other from the out group wants to come to campus a conservative by god a conservative wants to come to campus and talk we are not conservative here you are not welcome here you need to get off campus you need to get out of our space of of our holy space with deep platforming it always goes down to like people being afraid of the idea spreading too much and not being able to effectively counter the bad ideas, right? Mm. It, it's always that way. Um, but I feel like that's flawed in how you're approaching the problem because inherently, if you're saying, oh yeah, we can't uh, uh, you know, combat these problems. Uh, we can't rhetorically you know, be efficient and do it after they take like bad steps, bad faith steps to do whatever. Um, even even if that's the case, by deplatforming, you give them such a big platform with, uh, well, number one, they can ride the whole free speech platform. Mm-hmm. And they build a platform and then further promote whatever ideology was bad in the first place. And number two, um by deplatforming, you give this sense of like, they get this argument of, oh, they're trying to suppress something that's like really crucial. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like they're suppressing for a reason. Right. Because, it, and that's so appealing to us and rhetorically effective that no matter how badly, like how at a much of a disadvantage you were at first, you're much more at a disadvantage now after you've deplatformed someone. Mm-hmm. Right, like, and there's no, there's no effective way to deplatform an idea completely, especially in the inter- internet age, right? So, you you can always like you know give obstacles to people, but I think that's a temporary solution. I think with ideas that we know 
fairly confidently to be bad, it's like inert to do that. But how is that going to affect, like you've set that precedent now. How mm-hmm. is that going to affect future instances where we might have knee-jerk reactions and police on, uh, and deplatform and police on ideas that we might not have had enough time to digest. Mm-hmm. Like that's so, that's where it will break down. That's where deplatforming will be so bad, especially in the internet age. Well, and I see it as a lot of what times what happens is why these speakers who are eventually deplatformed come to the campus in the first place is because a student group invited them there. Right, right. Right, like it's not really often that, I don't know if it, how, what, if this happens even of like just someone randomly like hey can i come talk usually they're invited well i think bill burr said this but like that's why like he was talking about how like he never goes to college campuses like Mm. comedians never go because that's like the worst place to go for a comedian yeah because there's so hey i have to be the other thing is like um well it's kind of a narcissism like it's it's kind of like the epitome of arrogance to say, I am so right that I know other people shouldn't even listen to you. Like, it's the thing yeah. about the audience. Like, yeah. you, you, one, one thing that I've heard, oh, crap, what was his face? Um, there's this fantastic journalist. He's just an Andrew Sullivan. Mm. I love Andrew Sullivan. Okay. Like, he, he is just nuanced. He's, like, idiosyncratic. He's just great. He's, a, yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's an independent mind. He was talking about the importance of people are thinking in terms of the speaker. Yeah. Oh, this speaker was deplatformed. But it's not just the speaker. Right, right. You are depriving an audience who could have learned. Yeah. And, and, and learning consists of just not just agreeing. Yeah, they no. could have learned specifically why they disagree with what the person <laughs> exactly. said. You oh. are literally inhibiting progress yeah, if, yeah. even by your own standards yeah I, I, it's simple to me especially with hard convos it's like more interaction is always better than less interaction mm-hmm. such a and i <laughs> hate to have a such a obvious like oh this always works in every instance but i feel like for most cases especially in the in the light of progress more interaction especially with more diverse points of view is going to give you better things. Think of something that's non-political, like a business, right? I was hired into an IT firm this last summer because I was young. I could think outside the box. Whenever I talked to anyone in the market company, it was always, yeah, we hired you kids because we've been in this echo chamber for so long Mm -hmm. that we have to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that, like I, that I mean, if you can think of some, if, it, if, if the capitalistic tendency is that needed to drive the bottom line up to have new ideas, then why would we not incorporate that same kind of reverence for this kind of diversity of ideas and diversity and in general for the political sphere? Mm, yeah. Of course, you're going to have some bad interns there, but that's the risk you take for innovation. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, yeah. And and to me, as, as someone who's hoping to, you know, stick in academia, 
Yeah. It's just so sad because, like, I, I, you know, idolize academia in a sense where I'm like, this is the, this is the, the most fruitful ground uh, for, you know, creative ideas and new yeah. ideas and progress. And, and to see ideas just censored like that is not, it's just depressing. And uh, I mean, even if, if you have that intellectual bravado of, oh, of course they're wrong. I mean, at least, at the least, it shouldn't be to the level of deplatforming, but at least you can, you know, kind of round it off to the level of arrogance of a comedy show. Right. You know like, what it is? Uh-huh. Is... It's a religious abstinence. And I mean mm. that exact... I mean that in its in its entirety. Like, okay, okay. I believe that the type of people mm. who... Uh, are incredibly activist, incredibly progressive right. people. They are religious. They are religious yeah. people involved in a religion. Yeah. And they are no, they are like, I would say uh, formally in like a kind of a technical sense, uh-huh. a functional sense, identical right. to these, to, to kind of radical Christian people yeah. who speak out against like heavy metal musicians or rappers <laughs> as being yeah. contrary to the progress of society. Cause think about people yeah. who are like, um, against rap music, right? right? Like right. You, I understand, like you, you can have qualms with rap music or with rap music, like right. it's misogynistic or it's homophobic right. and right. they're up, encouraged, whatever. But the people who are really against it in, in, in they were against it with a kind of a fervor yeah. where, where they're like, they're like, I just fucking hate rap music. Yeah. And, and, and they're like, rap, rappers are evil. And like, yeah. you really feel this energy from them. Right. Right. And it's, it's like these other people who were like Milo Yiannopoulos coming to campus, like yeah. Ben Shapiro. Who, who are these other people? Oh, who's that guy? Uh, Jordan Peterson. Like Jordan Peterson, Charles Murray coming to campus. Like, these people are the devil. It is that. It's a religious aversion. Yeah. Because it's kind of, it's almost a disgust. It is. It's like a religiously motivated disgust. disgust. Yeah. Yeah. And I think viewing it through that religious lens sheds a lot of light on why it happens. Yeah. I mean, definitely in the, in the broader scope, in the, like, when you do assess religion more than what we colloquially think of it as a, it definitely helps because <laughs> being like skeptical with uh, like religion with any kind of religion helps in that lens. When, when you take the Durkheimian like religion mm. uh, definition and then you say, okay, obviously these are, Religions are made because they're like magnets, right? They're, they're extremely attractive. Mm-hmm. They they play, they have some truth, but oftentimes uh, they could have some uh, malicious tendencies if taken to extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to have skepticism of religion in that definition. Um, it, it, it's, it's always surprising... To me, like it, the, now, I mean, it's surprising because now you have like the kind of contradiction of like uh, 
these so-called like atheists, but then having some like other uh, religious like commitment, right, to of like an atheist. ideology, oh. or yeah, or to atheism or uh, something else. And uh, oftentimes, I mean, of course, there's a lot of types of atheists, uh, but um, I mean, there's there's the new like red pilling atheists that <laughs> are on the right. There's obviously the 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 atheists that are uh, extremely affirmative and they overreach at times, right? Um, but it, it's it's funny. Um, it almost makes me think that like Durkheim's definition of religion is like it's much more substantive than like what we think of religion, and maybe it yeah. it deserves like a bigger definition or a bigger word to it because. Religion does it a disservice because oftentimes when we think of religion, it's something supernatural, but it goes beyond that. It's more ideological than anything. Well, it's like, it's first and foremost, a social structure. Right. Like, yeah. I love that you brought up Durkheim. Like, I am a, I am yeah. a Durkheimian. Like, it, like, I love Durkheimian sociology. I think he's right. Yeah. And I tend to be a functionalist. And, and I, Durkheim looked at, like, he looked, he was like, how do I describe a religion mm. from a social sociological perspective and so you look at rituals yeah. you look at it, it's social right. solidarity and he, he thought that religion was kind of a it's really at its foremost at its mm. most fundamental a worship of society yeah and it's not a worship of society as is it's a worship of the perfect society mm. and the perfect society is kind of extrapolated from the current society uh -huh. right 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 and it's like how can i make society better that is that is heaven or whatever yeah yeah you, you know and that really like that speaks to a lot of like this political fervor right like this this uh, the left the right i mean this tendency to be like so energetic mm -hmm. like this this like intense energy like you can I, i've seen like i've been like when i saw the many gatherings informal gatherings no one planned this well mm -hmm. sometimes it was fun but uh, during the 2016 presidential election you can see these people like so passionate uh, but but the kind of sad thing is is that like every time i saw some kind of interaction between two different ideologies it was always like more good than bad like, mm. for every uh, one that would be, like, you know, bad faith, they got shouted down, there would be four, or at least three, with people that were, like, empathizing to a degree, which were, if they sat down in a room and they had that conversation for two hours over six weeks, God, mm. it would be such a good role model yeah. for uh, what is the the capacity for us to like progress mm -hmm. and truly progress not this oh i know what progression like oh, i know what i want right, to do right. and i want everyone else to think that um, the difference between kind of like an abstract conception and like a real lived progress yeah yeah you know i i think politics has become a substitute for religion mm. I, I, human beings need what the functional equivalent of religion we yeah. need grand narratives we need stories that make sense of our yeah. our now like interconnected 
global life. Yeah, definitely. We need that. Yeah. And if you are a if you are like a strict social constructionist, like if you're focused on society, mm-hmm. you're focused on the socio-political uh, conditions of society. Mm-hmm. Society becomes your cosmos. Mm-hmm. Society becomes your the equivalent functionally of the spiritual realm. Mm. Like so, because think about it. Like a religion is there. These are cosmic narratives. They're like the cosmos was created by God, and there are these cosmic forces of good and bad. Okay, put that to the side and put next to it. Society is constructed by people. Right. Society is characterized by these forces of oppressed and oppressor, or government and uh, person. It, it these they they can they functionally represent the same story, right, which right. Is, and we have these religious rituals like the like the uh, the pledge of allegiance. Yeah. That if you that is a bizarre thing that we do. One hundred percent, and even in our dollar bills, like uh, there's a lot of like almost like hypnotic nods to mystical kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of like illusion of like, Oh, this, this allegiance to, uh, this greater entity of the United States. Mm-hmm. Right? It becomes, yeah, it becomes yeah. kind of a divine. A, a and force. I've been thinking about like doing an, a video on like, what does it mean to be American? Mm. And I thought that would be so fascinating to like ask someone that's conservative to like, to liberal <clears throat> because uh myself I, i'm i was actually indian like citizen wise um since i was born in india and coming here i've been here since uh like 2002 not sure um but here basically most of my life so much so that i don't know when i came here mm. right that's how much i've lived here and from my demeanor to my knowledge Everything would indicate that I'm American, mm-hmm. right? But, like, what does it mean to be American? Like, what, what are those values that people attribute to this idea of being American? Because mm. a lot of people, when they, you know, say, I'm X, right? Sometimes it is a, a purely descriptive kind of tendency. But when they say it proudly, that's something different. Yeah, like, I'm almost a little scared when people are really proud to be an American. Like, <laughs> I, I'm kind of like one of those skeptical, yeah. like liberal people, I guess, who are like, like uh... these conservatives and their patriotism. It almost becomes like <laughs> jingoism or something where yeah. it's a little over the top. Uh... Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, with, with a lot of nationalism, it, there is that like, the, that double layer where there's also, there's people that genuinely have these nice values but then there's also people that are having those values not for the uh, content inside, but to keep things outside, mm. right? Yeah, that's, yeah, you know, did you watch, I think it was Trump's The Last State of the Union Address, where there was, like, oh. all the World War II stuff. Okay. It was weird. Like, it, it was really, like, America. And it was, like, this, like, I felt like America. I felt like, uh, what's that? Uh, you know that... Um, America. What's is that? What it is? The America. Dolls. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It felt like that. And you know, that's all, it's making sin. It's making fun of of the yeah. whole. Yeah. I felt like I wanted to be like that. It it felt like the parody. It felt like an actual parody of that 
type of feeling oh of God. like what was Team America? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Team America. Um, oh man. You know, you you said something interesting about atheists. Uh-huh. Uh New atheists, I've often noticed, are as religious, if not more so, yeah. than Christian people I know. And what I mean by that is yeah. they, their certainty, mm. their group loyalty. Yeah. Like, they're, it's indistinguishable to me, functionally, from Christianity. And here's an even bigger one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fitness oh, yeah. can yeah, yeah. easily become what I would call a Definitely. religion. Definitely. There's a, I was, I'm reading this book right now. It's this memoir. It kind of sucks. It's an interesting <laughs> story, but I mean, she's, some people, like, you can write a book and it can be a great story and it can be a sell. But that doesn't mean you're a good writer, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it. it's by Lauren Drain. It's called Banished. It's like my Ooh. time in the Westboro Baptist Church. So it's super oh, interesting about the yeah. Westboro Baptist Church. Um, there's a new book coming out soon. You can pre-order it on Amazon by Megan Phelps Roper, who is mm. she's actually the granddaughter of Fred Phelps, the guy who's like Ooh. who was at yeah. the form. Yeah, she's that book's probably going to be better. Um, but uh, so this lady now, Lauren Jane. She she was the daughter of a, a guy who went into the Westwood Baptist Church, and right. so she, he's still in it. And he's like, you can watch him on oh, YouTube. Really? He's like an ardent Westwood Baptist Church guy, and she was totally like disowned from her family. Of course, and now she's like this very ripped, uh, hot Instagram model, oh, wow. and she's but like she's all about fitness now, wow. and she's a personal trainer. And it just struck me like so she's like she's like one of those people who's like unrealistically fit right and it just it seems to me like she took religious fanaticism and just substituted it with it's really kind of just anytime there's a an overabundance or there's an excess of something that characterizes your life like bronies like they're like so (laughs) ram and i right now are on the we're on the we're on the ut camp utd campus UT dallas one time because i went to school here um I remember it was like Brony Day, and uh, this is something I, that probably only happens at UTT because it's so nerdy. But there was a day where, I, and I didn't know, I didn't know this was happening because I, <laughs> I never kept up with school stuff, and I just was like in my classes. I didn't care what the what was happening, and I walk out into like the, the kind of like one of the main locations, the plinth is what it's called. Yeah. And there's on the stage are like guys my age dressed in these. My Little Pony costumes, and they're playing this, what I guess is the theme song of My Little Pony. <laughs> and they are holding up posters of yeah. My Little Pony. Wow. And I'm like, these these people are worshipers of, my, they might as well be Westboro Baptist Church members picketing, dressed yeah. in religious clothes, singing mock songs of like patriotic, right. you know how they like, they like do parodies of, like, they're just like that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the one the one thing that I will say, and where I can defend the new atheists, is that, like, some religious systems are definitely better than other religious systems, mm. right? Like, for instance, like, My Little Pony, I am, I am I'm wholeheartedly happy that they can find joy in mm. My Little Pony. That's amazing. And I'm not. I wish they would. It's <laughs> weird. <laughs> I mean, as much as, as weird as it is, I mean, like, it's inert, right? Like, it, it doesn't affect policy. Um, the, the most harm that it can do is you having to listen to the theme song on your way to class, right? Mm. But when it does, uh, 
I feel like when when uh, like religions or any kind of religious ideology, whether it be political or not, imposes like when it does have cost to you mm-hmm. and people you know and people you empathize with and you want to protect, then I feel like you do have like whatever urge you have to try to combat that is 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 justified right but what you're i okay first of all totally yes yeah but i would say that i'm thinking of it differently Mm, where i think that like i don't define a religion Mm. by for lack of a better word the contents i define what religion is in someone's life based on what is functionally overtaking their life and mm. defining a grand narrative. And okay. for some people, that's fitness. Right, right. They wake up, they look right. at themselves in the mirror, and they're like, what is my ideal self? And they're consumed by the, the, this, I, this unidimensional, that's a key thing, unidimensional. Oh, Things right. shrink. And it's the world shrinks to what I, I call the contents of the religion. Mm-hmm. And they go, I want to look super fit and I'm going to go to CrossFit or I'm going to do whatever and I'm going to and, and, and everything becomes revolves around this that one aspect I see I see and if it's brony then it's I'm going to go to the I watched there's this fantastic documentary on Netflix about the bronies <laughs> I can't remember what it's called I hope it's still on there but I watched it and it was bizarre and interesting and it, if you go to the brony convention and you wear the brony clothes and you're on the brony forums you're just brony has defined the narrative of your life right. and you think of tomorrow in terms of brony yeah yeah that that is what the religion is in your interesting life. and if you i mean yeah i think it, i think you're i mean you do have a good point if it does if it is unilateral right i think that does probably cause you to be a bit biased and maybe that shouldn't be what you should do and maybe you should branch out so you can have a better functioning, mm-hmm. like, you know, outlook on 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 life, but I mean, I I don't know what line there is. Like, if someone, quite honestly, is devoting their life to like bronyism, right? Like, as long as it does not affect me, right? I feel like it's fine, and I may I don't know to what level it would affect me, um, but that's. That, that's Do you think though. that it's a good way to live your life? Right. I would not. I do not think that level of reverence to a cartoon show would be a good way to live my life. And I would suspect that if someone I knew, like my friend or my significant other, were to do this, then that might, like, you know, that might, I might say, oh, you shouldn't, right? Like, mm-hmm. I would argue against that. Because um, I think but I don't know. this line of does it affect me, it's not, it's crossed not due to the nature of mm-hmm. the, like the contents of bronyism. Yeah. It becomes, I think, more, like partially to that, right? Right. Because that kind of sets a, a path, yeah. but it, it, it is more due to the political power of the group who it claims to espouse this religion. Which is very different than the contents. Like, so obviously, like, the, the world's seven big religions have made a huge impact on the historical right. 
landscape that has made us to today, right? Of course. Like they they influence politics, they influence society for good and for bad, right? Yeah. For for both. And you might go you could define Christianity from a macroscopic perspective, a macroscopic mm. historical sociopolitical perspective. You could go Christianity has killed X many people. You, you yeah, could start yeah. to describe it in these kind of terms, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's the most accurate. To, well, maybe it is, but in my view, I tend to focus on the individual level because right. I think that's what's most. It's what's most. It's the the fundamental building block. Of that bigger right, right. thing. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. And it kind of determines what that yeah. bigger thing is. Yeah. And that bigger thing almost becomes kind of an abstraction. The ha- like if I say Christianity has killed... The religion of Christianity throughout history has killed X people. Mm-hmm. Am I really talking about the thing the, that yeah. sets the narrative in people's lives? Like, yeah. am I talking about the thing that guides their subjective experience throughout their day and determines what's meaningful to them. No, I'm talking about something else, but something that's still real, right? right. I mean, it's not nothing. It's certainly something. Yeah. But is that the reli- is that where the religion is? Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. more of a political thing. Yeah, it is a political thing, for sure. Um, but also, like, I don't know. It, I'm trying to think of instances where, like, like what could go wrong, right? Say someone uh, has a view that you disagree with, um, and they peg it to a religion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what? How do you go? Like, you would say, "Look, you're, you you would pin their idea of having X view to that religion mm-hmm. because they don't go deeper. You, they just won't. Like, they would say, "Oh, it's because of God. God intended it this way." Um, but that's saying it's because of God is different than the, like, people might go, I get what you're saying though, but I think like someone might go, mm. I'm a Christian, yeah. therefore I believe in Jesus or something. Yeah, yeah. And I, but it's not necessarily, it's not because they're a Christian that they believe in Jesus. Yeah. They're, they, oh wait, wait, it's not because, yeah, it's not, their Christianity was not the first thing. Right. their believing in Jesus was the first thing. Okay. And Christianity is a term that describes them upon... Right, so I guess what you're asking is, is what if people are associating certain beliefs yeah. with this broader kind of group-based thing of we are Christians, we are a tribe? Right, I mean, it, I mean that or... Yeah, I mean, even with that, I mean, it's... Like, people often ascribe, like, this kind of, like, oh, well, you know, it says it in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And why, why mm. okay, why should we believe the Bible? It's like, oh, obviously God said it. Right, right. And, like, when you get to that deadlock and you, you're not able to, like, you're not able to get past that because it's it's such a concrete, like, you know, level for them. Um Mm. What, what, how do you approach it? Like, how would you, within your context, like, how would you approach that? What is the the reasonable thing to do with that person? Well, one thing is, 
I don't believe that there's such a thing mm. as true Christianity or true libertarianism or yeah. true uh, progressivism or true health. Right. Uh, or these are metaphysical things mm. that don't actually exist. Yeah. And there, there. What? I'm a very big proponent. I like the idea. So take a word. Yeah. A word means what it means due to the way in which it is used by people over time right, in society. Right, of course. A word has no objective meaning. Yep. It never does, ever. Yeah. The word has the meaning that it does because point. of how it is used. Right. Its use determines its meaning. Mm -hmm. Because th there is no such thing as meaning in that sense. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Like, yeah. what does the word wall mean? Right. Where is the meaning? Right. The meaning is its use. That is yeah. where it is. It's like the, the taco sandwich debate, right? Oh, yeah. How do you yeah, yeah, yeah. a sandwich? It's like... It just depends on... Yeah. yeah. And, okay, the same thing is true for Christianity. Right. What Christianity is... Mm. And, and there's multiple ways to define it. Mm. Or take any religion, Buddhism, whatever. It, it's kind of... It's at least two things... Um, David Brooks talks about this distinction on a recent Ezra Klein podcast, which I would definitely recommend. Um, it's a group of people, and it is, in the abstract, a set of ideas. Mm. But the set of ideas are, if you were to say Christianity is, and you, would, you were to distill mm. the conglomeration of all of the ideas that people ascribe the description Christianity too because mm -hmm. there's a bunch of different types of Christians or people who there's a bunch of different people who call themselves Christians who believe different things sometimes they believe things that are very different yeah right so we just we boil it down to the gist or we kind of we, we amalgamate it in a way that weights things based on their popularity yeah and we go well the bulk of Christians tend to believe this. Yeah, so yeah. this is what Christianity is. Yeah, right. But see, but that's just a distillation. It, it doesn't have any, there's no truth value, I don't think, to the actual kind of metaphysical thing Christianity is this, or the yeah. wall means this. I mean, that, that is hard, because uh, I think the difference is I think I, I do agree, like, it, it's bad to blanket statement people. But at the same time, people like to have that identity as well. True. And so that's why, I mean, even with Christianity, uh, since they do have uh, this kind of idea of like being able to distinguish, they have like different sects of Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. So like, oh, I'm a Unitarian. Yeah. Or yeah. I'm a Methodist. So I believe X and X. Um, well, your question mm -hmm. was, what, what, how do we respond to people who say things like, yeah, what they pick it to? I believe that because I'm a Christian. Yeah. It seems like they're just, if someone were to say that, mm -hmm. they're just not being as precise as they could. Right. Like, if I were to say, I am uh, for higher taxes on wealthy people because I am a progressive. Mm -hmm. That is a that is not why. Yeah. Or or, or and if it is mm -hmm. uh, 
there's something strange about that statement. I'm, I'm having a hard time actually articulating. Doesn't it feel like it doesn't follow? Yeah, it's like to say it because I'm a member of this group, or it, you might. It seems fallacious to start with, right? You, you. I guess that I think here's what would ha- I think would be the best step forward. The best step forward would to be well, what does being a progressive mean to you? Mm. What what does progressivism entail? Or if someone were to say, I believe in X because I'm a Christian or something, mm. you might go, well, what does being a Christian mean to you? And then you start to unpack the contents of their beliefs. Right. Because there's no such thing as the true Christian. Yeah. They are just comparing themselves to what they have in their head. As a Christian. And so what they're really doing is they're just saying, I am the set of beliefs and I am a Christian. Yeah. So you, you can kind of, like, by proxy unpack this yeah. conceptual Christian to unpack their own beliefs yeah. and go, oh, well, what does he believe about this? And why does he... Oh, you could go, why does the average... Why does the person who is a Christian believe that? Yeah. And then they're like, okay. well, they can't say it because he's a Christian, but it doesn't it one step removed again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they could say that, but they'd be like, well, why does he believe it? And then you have like this infinite regress yeah. of... Uh, Hopefully they don't... They don't... That shift in reference would be enough for them to like go to the values instead of the, oh, well, because he's Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ram, this has been awesome. And it has been an incredibly meandering conversation. <laughs> and it, I, I, you know, I thought it was great. And I loved kind of going across politics and morality and the big, the, all these big questions with you. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. So. Oh, uh, tell <clears throat> our listeners, uh, where they can find what you're up to. Oh yeah. Um, well, I do a, a thing called Hard Convos. Um, you can find us at at Hard Convos on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. It's also hardconvos.org, which is not up yet, but it will be. Um, and it's also hardconvos at gmail.com. So we really have... And you're on YouTube, too. Yeah, and that's also Hard Convos. If you search Hard Convos practically anywhere, uh, we have that, or I have that. And Hard Convos is is an organization dedicated to rational discourse. Yeah, it's... uh, Hard Convos is really trying to make bridges between uh, different ideologies on different topics. Um, Of course, it the most obvious is like the Democrats versus the Republicans. And that's usually a great starting point for us. Uh, But really the goal is to bring people together and try to form some kind of empathetic bond and go on to trying to solve problems. And it's oftentimes a, it's it's through uh, all the way from uh, we've done things from having small groups discussions over uh, a six week period of time to having conventional debates. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, and we'll have you back. I'm sure later at some point. <laughs> Thank you.